worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. This joy in the house of the Lord. This joy in the house of the Lord today. these words from Psalm chapter 40. In verse 9, David says, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Just thinking how wonderful it is this morning that um, God will not restrain his mercy from us. He will not hold it back. Um, He will shower it freely. His steadfast love and his faithfulness will ever preserve me. But earlier in that verse, um, there's a responsibility for us to not hide the deliverance that God has given to us. So um, let's keep that in mind as we sing this next song together. faithfulness is great. We can't tell you that enough. We're just grateful to be here this morning. May you bless our time together. Thank you for the sweet sounds of worship we could have. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, Just a quick announcement before Steve comes up. You can have a seat. Um, First of all, if you're part of the Sunday school group, you can be dismissed with your teacher. Um, In two weeks, there's going to be a fall harvest party. So the idea of this is to be a fun event that we can get together for some fellowship. We can also invite friends and neighbors to join us here. I know there's still a lot of uh, areas needing some help. Um, if you're able to, you know, man a kids activity for uh, an hour and a half or two, um, that would be awesome. They can use some more people signing up. So take a look at the sign up sheet after the service. So that's in roughly two weeks. Also, if you have the ability to make chili or bring baked goods, that's the other Uh, thing that they could use. So uh, with that, I'm going to have Steve come on up.
Thanks, Alan. Praise team. I have one other announcement that I want to uh, kind of call to people's attention, and that is that a week from tonight, and this is a change from what we have uh, put out there. Last week, we said that we would be having a uh, all-church prayer night on October 22nd. Well, that's changed. In the past several weeks, uh, well, the elders have been meeting with members of the Christian Liberian community uh, here in the Des Moines area, and we have uh, decided, and some of you got an email, some of you didn't, we have decided that we're planning a, a service, a joint service, a service of unity that we're uh, going to gather together. It's going to be here at Creekside Church, and uh, the purpose of this is to uh, show our support uh, for uh, those who were victimized by the events, the recent sad events that took place in Liberia. We're also hoping to, to show our support for the Liberian community. And also, the last thing is, we want to promote the cause of missions around the world. Uh, we've been very encouraged by our brothers uh, and sisters in the uh, Christian Liberian community. They stand in support uh, of us and, uh, and, and the cause of missions, and we want to, as a, as a group, come together and say, yes, we are uh, seeking to advance the cause of Christ for his glory and the gain of his kingdom, and that's the, the, the thing that we have on our heart. So uh, there, uh, I'm asking you all as a, as a family uh, to know that this is going to take place. We're planning on it here, and it will uh, push us a little bit out of our comfort zone, uh, you know, because our Liberian brothers and sisters are coming in to lead us in worship, and we're going to take part in the worship service, uh, our praise team as well. Uh, we're going to have a fellowship time afterwards. We're asking any of you who would be willing to help uh, provide some refreshments, some finger food, uh, talk to Mary. There's a sign-up sheet out on the, the table. So the welcome table has a lot of sign-up sheets, okay? Just, uh, so why don't you just stop by the welcome table and uh, just sign up, okay? But uh, Mary would like to have you do that, if you would, please, for her. And then she would know and can make contacts with people if we need more, more food. We're expecting a little over 200 people, so it should be a, a good time. And also realize that uh, some of our brothers and sisters in the Liberian community are taking some heat because they have not uh, uh, gone along with uh, some of the opposition. They've been standing against that and in support of us. And so uh, they need our encouragement and prayers and support as well. So that's the announcement from, from my standpoint. And uh, just excited about that. Just think about that passage in John 17 where Jesus in his high priestly prayer is praying, Father, make them one even as we are one, that the world may know that you have sent me. You see, when... When believers are gathered together in unity, it is a powerful and bold testimony, not only to the reality of Jesus, but also to the identity of Jesus and to the ministry of Jesus. And so we have a great opportunity to take part in that, and so I hope you'll join us in it. I'd ask you to join me in prayer, if you would. Father, we are here, and we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Um, and we thank you uh, that you care about us and that you love us with a uncondition, an unconditional love that we do not deserve. And so as we pause now to worship you through the study of your word, I pray that your spirit would continue to work in us and through us so that you might be magnified and you might be glorified. And that would be our desire not only in this service, but in every time we meet and gather together, that would be our prayer for the service of unity that's coming up next Sunday night. And we pray now, Father, 
I pray and ask that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, not just to inform our minds, but to transform our lives for your glory and for the gain of your kingdom, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. While I was in college, I received a note from my father, and in the note, which was short, uh, he included the verse from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, and Colossians 2, verse 8 is a very appropriate verse for anybody who's in college. Uh, That's just it, and the, the, the text reads, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world principles of the world rather than to Christ. And I just tell you that dad's uh, profoundly impactful note demonstrated that he cared even though he wasn't he wasn't there. He showed us. And that's kind of what every good dad does, right? You you show your children that you care, whether you're there or whether you aren't there. And in the same way that every good father shows that he cares, whether he's there or not, every true spiritual leader and every true true believer shows other believers that they care. That's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. Jesus said it in John 13, 35. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. He says this will, that you have love one for another. That we have love one for another. That's how we show that we care. So how can we show that we care even though we're not there or even if we are there? Well, the Apostle Paul in the second section of our introduction to the book of Romans in verses 8 through 15 kind of leads us down that path of how we can show that we care. Last week we saw in verses 1 through 7 that Paul established his spiritual authority over the church. In verses 8 through 15, he expresses his spiritual authenticity by showing his concern for the believers that he had never met personally. And so we can show we care by following his example of of what it means to be a leader. He was a spiritual leader, an apostle of of God, uh, sharing with them. But the principles apply whether you're an apostle or whether you're just a parishioner whether you're just part of the body of Christ. And so if you have your Bibles with you, or if you could run and reach down under the pew in front of you, or just look up at the screen, I think it'll be on the screen. I'm going to read Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. I'm reading from the New American Standard, so if your version is a little different, that's fine. It's not going to, the meaning is not going to be all that different. So here we are. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while while among you. Each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. And I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far in order that I might obtain some fruit among you also, 
even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, shows us three ways that God's servants express genuine concern for other believers. And as you'll see, it's not just for believers. He has concern for the lost as well, but the the predominant focus is he's writing to the the church at Rome, which is probably comprised of a a bunch of little house churches. So it's not just like one big thing. It's uh, several, but there's several believers. The believers there, first of all, We express our concern, our genuine concern, when we are sincerely thankful for others. When we're sincerely thankful. And there's two considerations in the text, particularly in verse 8, that we, first of all, we communicate our thanks. He begins, I thank my God. Now, this was a common introduction for Paul in all of his letters, almost all of his letters. If you looked at each one of his letters individually, you'd see he does it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, Philippians, he, every, almost every one of his letters he introduced, I thank my God for you all. I wonder, do we feel that way about each other? I thank my God for you. Well, we may think it, but do we say it? He says, I thank my God, and notice that my God. I'm not a big grammar guy, but uh, I really like the pronouns. Personal pronouns. My God. He's expressing that he has an intimate relationship with the king of the universe. And it's an intimacy that every believer uh, can enjoy. With, with God. God, who is our gracious and loving and kind and gentle Savior, our friend, and as we saw in verse 7, we are His beloved children. You think, well, I don't know. I don't feel all warm and fuzzy about being God's beloved child. Well, that's okay, but I think we should meditate on the fact that we are, if we are a child of God, if we have personally put our faith or a trust in Jesus Christ and His death alone as the payment for Him, we are His kid. Or his child, my beloved, his beloved. And then he says, uh, through Jesus Christ. He, I thank my God uh, through Jesus Christ. Well, obviously Jesus is the mediator. We, we pray to God through the one mediator, Jesus. He is the mediator of our faith through Jesus Christ. And it's through him that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. That we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And so he comes boldly through his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he prays for all of you. And he's talking about the believers that are in Rome. I thank my God for all of you. Now, that might be a stretch for some of us. Right? So can you thank my God for all of you? Eh, well, okay. I mean, if we're honest, right? There's some of us that might be a little harder to be thankful to God for. But you know what? We just might be that person that other people have a problem thanking God for. So, uh, just saying. All right. So he says, I thank my God for all of you. And so we we, we communicate our thanks. And then we we, we see the cause for our thanks. In verse 8, the end of it, he he gives a reason why he thanks his God for all of you. Because, he says, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. 
he's amped up to, to, to thank God because for them, he thanks God for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Now, that's a hyperbole. Now, that's a fancy word, but it just means it's a little bit of an exaggeration. Not the entire world, but throughout all the way, all the way around the, the known world. Not to every, every, every corner, but just generally, it's, it's going out there. Their faith. What does he mean by their faith? Well, the fact that they're trusting in Jesus Christ and his death alone is the payment for their sins, but they're also, they're believing in Jesus, but they're behaving like Jesus. And people are noticing. Oh, you know, you know, that, you know that, that church in Rome? I mean, they live in some really wicked place, and they're standing up for Jesus, and they're showing and sharing the love of Jesus in a sinful city. Now, in Romans chapter 16, we're going to get there eventually, Lord willing, in, in, in verse 19, he says this, For the report of your obedience has reached everyone, therefore I am rejoicing over you, but I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. The report of your obedience is reaching everywhere. As I read that, you know, I, I think there's a couple of things to ponder. First of all, um, uh, are we at Creekside living so faithfully that the message and the ministry of Christ is going out throughout the world? Are we believing and behaving like Jesus so that the world is seeing through Creekside Church, the people here, that God is real? And, you know, we've seen. It, 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 only, takes, it only takes one to, to tarnish the reputation of the ministry of an entire body, right? So the question is, how are we doing? You know, self-examination. As the world looks and sees, will they see that, that that's what we're doing? And we have opportunities to continue to do that. And I think that to some degrees, yes, to some degree, no. And it's really not up for us to judge, right? I mean, it's only up to God. We just have to be faithful to what we know God wants us to be faithful to do. And I'm thinking in terms of, of our team that's headed out to Haiti. You will have an opportunity to at least make a step towards this reality that, the world, that we are proclaiming to the world our faith. You have an opportunity to take a step forward in that regard. By re representing First of all, Jesus Christ, and second of all, the church of Jesus Christ that's centered in Urbandale at Creekside Church. And so don't take it lightly. You go out as representatives, as we each do every time we leave this place, we represent Jesus Christ. And then the, the thing is that it, it's also this service of unity is an opportunity for us to allow the, the, our faith to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. People from we were on the phone. I was on the phone the other day, and uh, with people from we were elders with people from Atlanta. Uh, they're planning on people from all over the world. They're going to be aware of what's going on next Sunday night in this church. It's an opportunity we have. And the second pondering thought that I had was, do we do we show that we can show that we care uh, when we thank God for the work that God is doing in and through others? He says, I thank my God. For you all. Do we thank God? Do we tell 
each other, I thank my God for you. I thank my God for our praise team. For our tech guys. For what they do. I thank God for our gals that meet and do WMO. For our small group leaders. For our youth pastor and his wife. I thank my God for them and for what they're doing for the cause of Christ. One of the ways we show we care is we tell people, hey, I'm thankful to God for you. Secondly, we see that we communicate this concern and care when we are constantly prayerful for others. And there's two aspects of prayer that communicate uh, genuine interest in, genuine, genuine care for others. First of all, our persistence in prayer. Look at verse 9. Paul says, um, For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of the Son is my witness. Now, I'm going to go with the ESV because ES, ESV says, uh, For God is my witness. It doesn't really matter how you slice it. There's this relative clause that begins, Whom I serve in my spirit you know, in the preaching of the gospel, that's a huge long phrase that modifies God, who he says is his witness, and a witness is one you call to testify to the truthfulness of your statement, and he wants God to testify to the truthfulness of his statement that he's unceasing in his prayer for them. He says, and I want you to see verse the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10, that he says, I make mention of you, uh, that unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers. Unceasingly, always. Back to back. Unceasingly, always. That's a lot of praying. That's constant, ongoing prayer. And he says, God who examines our hearts, that he says, I, is my witness. God examines our hearts. And so, and to whom do we pray? He just said, I'm, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. So we're praying to God, and God is our witness, and God is the one who examines our hearts. So if we're praying to God, then God ought to know if we're praying. And so he says, I call God as my witness, the one to whom I pray which makes sense, and to punctuate the truthfulness of his claim that he's perpetually praying for them, he reveals what he knows about the identity of this God and, uh, and declares his own service to him. Who is this God? He's my master, he said. Now, he didn't say that, but he says, whom I serve. <laughs> you only serve a master. So this is the one to whom he prays. The one he calls as his witness is his, his master. The NIV actually captures the phrase. It says, whom I serve with my whole heart. The NASB, ESV says, in my spirit. Just think of it. With, with his whole being, he, he's, he's serving God. All right? That's what he's saying. Paul's master was God the Father to whom he prayed. So who better to be his witness if I'm praying to him? In Acts chapter 24, verse 14, uh, I think, do we have that slide? Yeah, it says, but I confess this to you, that in accordance with the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and the prophets and the spirits and, and, and the law and the prophets. So he's serving God. And Paul's primary means of wholehearted service, he says in this text, in the preaching of the gospel of his son. Look at the text. 
says it in verse 9. For God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son. What's the gospel? You're going to hear this a lot, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is good news. And what is the good news regarding his son? The good news regarding his son is that the son made it possible, his son Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins and the, and the guarantee of eternal life for all who would turn from their sinful, self-directed life and repent and trust in Jesus and his death alone as the payment for their sin. You know, we close the service. You're going to uh, come up here and take some bread and some juice. And you're going to remember what Christ did. But remembering, we must know why he did what he did. I mean, oh yeah, somebody died and, and you know, that's, that's it. No, he died on the cross in our place. Because we deserve the death that he took. And when we trust in him, the death that he took, we died. No, he died, we live. That's the good news, because we all deserve to die, to live in eternity separate from God. But because Christ took the punishment on himself, all who trust that punishment for them are then transferred from death to life, and he died for us. That's the good news. And so he proclaims it. That's the main way in which he he proclaims it. So the supervisor, uh, the one to whom he prays, should be able to do it. We have a few people here who help out with the JAPA, which is a ministry of the homeless people in the Des Moines area. And their supervisor would be able to validate whether or not they actually did what they said they did. Oh yeah, I worked at JAPA today. Well, okay, let's call the supervisor and see if that's really true. And Paul says, God's my supervisor. And uh, you can call him, I'm going to call him in, and he'll testify the fact that what I'm saying is true. I pray for you unceasingly. God was Paul's witness that he prayed constantly for those he didn't know. He didn't know them. You see, the fact that he prayed constantly, with great frequency, it communicates to me that he viewed prayer as a priority and he valued them highly I've got two grandchildren and I don't have any problem telling you about my grandchildren anybody who has grandchildren anybody who has children no problem you ask me I'm down I'm you know it's it's a long conversation right because I love them and Paul says I'm talking, about, I'm talking to God about these people nonstop because I love them, because I care about them. That's what he was doing. His, why was he primarily called into the ministry? What was his primary means of service? He just said, in the preaching of the gospel. But his preaching didn't preclude him from praying because prayer was a priority, and he valued them highly. And so, he cared about their spiritual well-being. Of all that he preached the gospel to, and that all that heard the gospel, even if he hadn't preached the gospel to them, which he hadn't, but he cared about their souls. 
and their spiritual well-being. Even the strangers in Rome, whether faithful or faltering, believers in Rome, believers everywhere, haven't reached spiritual maturity yet. That means us. Okay? None of us is there yet. None of us has arrived. And we need prayer continually. Because the work of transforming us is a spiritual work that God must accomplish and we need that prayer and so Paul prayed unceasingly and it's amazing to me it's remarkable to me as you read the New Testament you see how often he prayed unceasingly for so many people look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16 and Ephesians 1 16 says uh, that I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention you of you in my prayers Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in, all my, in my every prayer for you all. And I could go on. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, I do not cease to pray for you. Uh, for this reason we also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So that you might walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in every respect, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance of the saints in light. He prayed unceasingly in 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, I, I, I do not cease to pray for you always. Always, always, always. And what was he praying for? When he always prayed for them. What was he praying for? His ongoing prayer for the Romans, I think, likely went along the same lines as he prayed for all these other Christians and all these other churches. Now, obviously we're going to get there. You see it in the text, if you did, that he prayed that he would be able to visit them. Yeah, that was part of his ongoing prayer, but I don't think that was it. Or the, the sum total of it. He prayed that, that these people, and when we pray, we should be praying following Paul's pattern, we should be praying that people would get to know God better. And if you look at those prayers, he prayed that they would get to know God intimately. That they would love God more deeply. That they would understand God's love for them more fully. That they would serve the Lord fruitfully. That they would share Christ boldly. That they would resist the enemy successfully. These are the things we need prayer for. And so I come and I think, for whom am I praying unceasingly? For whom are you praying unceasingly in our prayers to God? For their maturity. And I'm talking about, for most of us, it's people we know. Paul's like, I'm, I'm down for people I don't know. For whom are we prayer, personally offering unceasing prayers? Folks, do you know one of the most encouraging things that you can say and share with another believer is, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And if that doesn't mean anything to the person that you share it with, they have no clue how dependent upon God they are. 
And when people say that to me, or then it's like, you just don't know how much that means. Because I know how desperately I need it. And we all, and, we, and you know, and I, and I don't, I know how desperately I need it, and I don't know how desperately I need it. I hope that makes sense. Uh, because there's a, there's because I'm not there yet. <laughs> if I was fully mature, then I would know how desperately I needed it before. But I'm not there yet. So I don't know how desperately I need it, but I do have some sense of how desperately I need it. And that's the truth. What an encouragement that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And let alone say, I'm praying unceasingly for you. Now, I don't think that he meant that he prayed every moment of every day. I don't think that he meant that he prayed every day for every person. But he was consistently praying for these people. And what a, what a way. And then we see the point of prayer. His point in prayer, basically making requests, if perhaps now at last. <laughs> Which tends to make me think that he would have been praying for a long time. If perhaps now at last. <laughs> that uh, ongoing request that, that it was something that he hoped would now be answered. Okay, hope, hopefully God's going to give it to me now. He, he wanted to visit in order to serve. So he, he prayed specifically. His request in his request that I may succeed in coming to you. That was the essence of his request. I, I may succeed in coming to you. Okay. He prayed for God's timing, if perhaps now. And then he submitted to God, uh, if according to the will of God, if it's the will of God. Okay. He said, according to God's will. You know, I remember a long time ago uh, when I was single and I wanted to get married. And so I prayed. To God, I, I, I prayed specific prayers. And I prayed, I sought, I sought God's timing, perhaps now, you know, with more of a suggestion. And then I, I submitted to, to God's plan and said, okay, Lord, not my will but yours be done, but please hurry. I wasn't as patient as Paul. But isn't this how... All of us ought to be praying, not just for a spouse, if you're a single, but in all of our prayers. That I pray specifically for what I want God to do, and I pray and I seek His timing, if perhaps now. And then I say, Lord, if it is according to Your will, in, in Your will be done, by the will of God. By the will of God. Are we content to pray persistently, particularly, and patiently for God to open a door for ministry. That's particularly what he was praying for, a door to be open for ministry at Rome. Or for God to provide for us financially, or for God to restore harmony in a relationship, or for God to heal us of some physical ailment. These are things. See, we encourage each other in the body of Christ when we are thankful, when we are prayerful and finally when we're intentionally purposeful with others how do we interact with each other two purposes that dominate the hearts of God's servants in relationship to others according to this text again not the sum total of the purposes that dominate the hearts of servants that are concerned with each other first of all the edification the building up of the saints verse 11 he says for I long to see you in order that. Now, if you, 
You can circle that. That's a purpose statement. In order that. This is the purpose. I want to see you, but here's why I want to see you. Okay? The first reason is that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. All right? I long to see you is his deep longing and desire to visit the believers in Rome. And he says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 23. Uh, I think we have, uh, yeah, Romans 15, 23, he communicates that he wants to see them. He wants to go to them. And then in, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, he told, he told the people in Acts, he says, yeah, I got to go to, I got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to drop off the offering there and then I'm headed to Spain, but I'm going to try to stop at Rome along the way because I, I long to see them after, I, I want to see them. I have been, I must see Rome. I must see Rome. Not because he was interested in the Colosseum, okay? That's not why he wanted to see Rome. He wasn't going there for sightseeing. Um, that's the truth. He wasn't for sightseeing, but for serving. He says that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Not like uh, the, the gift of discernment, not, not like the spiritual gifts that are listed in Romans 12, but some spiritual benefit. That's the spiritual gift, the spiritual benefit that would be brought to them from divinely empowered human activity, the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the word of God, prayer, counseling, encouragement, that he came alongside. That's what the spiritual gift he wanted to impart, some spiritual empowerment and encouragement to them. His aim was their spiritual gain. Here, his purpose was for their progress in the faith. He says that you might be established, that's the New American Standard, uh, that they might be made more complete in Christ. Grow up in Jesus. And this is a constant theme for Paul. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, he says, we proclaim him, admonishing him, every person, and teaching every person with all wisdom, so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose I labor, I also labor, striving according to the power it works within me. So that's what he wanted. He wanted them to grow up in Jesus. I have a friend that uh, for several years he, he's, he's traveled to Eastern Europe. Not to see the sights, because uh, the place that he went uh, wasn't the place for the most part that people would go to see the sights. Okay? But he went there to serve the, the people, serve the saints, and to share the light of Christ. That's why he went. And that's why... We should be concerned about what we're doing in the body of Christ. Are we just going to see people just because that's what's cool? No, we should be there to serve. And then we see in verse 12, uh, that is, he kind of clarifies. It's, it sounds kind of selfish, right? Paul says, I'm coming to you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. Okay, the holy apostle is coming to Rome so he can, uh, you know, really uh, juice us up. But he kind of clarifies that. It's not, it's not just self-serving. It's not just about me. It's a two-way street. And notice he says that, that in verse 12. That is, introduced his expectation of mutually beneficial interaction. What? That I may be encouraged, he goes on. And that each of us by the other's faith, so that there's this give and take, so that he expected that he would impart to them some spiritual gift, help them grow up in Jesus, and guess what? They would help him. Him? The greatest missionary of all time is going to somehow be encouraged to grow up in Jesus by these floundering people in their faith. I like the way John Stott put it. He says, the reciprocal blessing of, that, that Paul understood, the reciprocal blessings of Christian fellowship. Reciprocal. 
blessings of Christian fellowship. The great missionary believed that those with genuine, albeit young, faith could spiritually encourage him. Now here's here's the thing that stuck to me. Are we ever too far along in our walk with God that we are exempt from being encouraged in our faith by other people? You see, it's a real danger. The, the longer we walk with Jesus, the, the more influence we have, the more, the, the more important our title or our position or our, our ministry becomes, then we can somehow arrogantly think that other believers can't really be used of God to help us grow up in Christ. And that's a tragedy. Peter said it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. My brother Ken uh, landed his plane in, in Lakai, Haiti in 2010, right after, well actually it was, I think it was 2011, because it was right after the earthquake that happened in Haiti. And it was a devast- most, one of the most devastating earthquakes in, in, that had happened ever in, in Haiti. He landed his plane and he, he, he taxied to the end of the runway and then he parked his plane and he opened his plane door and this is what he heard. He heard the believers singing, Great is your faithfulness. Oh God, our Father, there is no shadow of turning with you. Man was his heart blessed. He went there to serve. And they served him. And they served him. And I tell you what, that's how it ought to be. We are, where are we serving? Eager and expecting a reciprocal blessing. And folks, when we ought, this ought to be the, 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 the characteristic way of believers. We ought to be interacting with each other, expecting to serve and expecting to be blessed. There should be none of this, well, I'm sure glad that I came to bless you. Excuse me? No, that doesn't mean that certain of us haven't been called to serve. If you're there leading and teaching in the youth group, yeah, you should be teaching and leading in the youth group. But that doesn't mean that there isn't some little punk out there who just came to know Jesus that can't teach you a thing or two about what it means to talk to people about Jesus. What it means to live for Christ. In a, in a difficult, hostile world. This is the, the beauty of it. Paul, that, that there would be some mutual benefit that we would be able to share and I would be able to grow because of you and you and me. And I'll, uh, I mean, I'm guaranteeing it. Those people from our church who've been to Haiti, they come back more blessed than they feel like they bless the people. And if they don't, then they shouldn't go. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. But I just said it, so I can't take it back. Because that's what our heart should be. And, and sometimes it shocks us. Sometimes we go like, whoa, didn't expect that coming. But it's like, okay, that's cool. Like, I can be encouraged. I mean, you know, people who just come to faith in Jesus, they don't know that they're not supposed to talk to other people about Jesus. It's only those of us who've been, you know, believers for a while. Oh, we don't want to offend them. I don't care about offending them. I know Jesus. I want to tell you about Jesus. 
our everyday interactions with others, other believers should be mutually beneficial. I think about that. Do you, do you come here on Sunday mornings and, and, and like want mutual benefit? Like you can bless other people. You can say, yeah, I'm praying God, to God for you. I'm thankful for the God for you. And, and, and they can say, you know what? I want you to know that I'm thinking on this. You encourage me when you do this. We can mutually benefit. That's how it ought to be in the body of Christ. It ought to happen on Sunday mornings. It ought to happen in our own families. It ought to happen at our elder meetings. It ought to happen at our Bible studies. It ought to happen at the Moms Together group. It ought to happen all the time. Because that's how we encourage each other in Jesus. Secondly was the evangelization of the lost in verses 13 through 15. I don't want you to be unaware. This is a phrase Paul used all the time when he wanted to call attention to something that was important. And he wanted the brethren, the believers in in Rome, to know of his determination to visit them. That I often have planned to come to you. And I want you to know I'm not blowing smoke here. A little side deal. You know, we say, well, we should get together sometime. Don't say that. Okay? Say does next week, Wednesday, work for you? Because, you know, it's like, oh, we get together sometime. Yeah, right, that's blowing me off. We, we want to, we, if, really, if we want to get together, then get together. If you don't want to get together, don't say we should get together sometime. I'm, I'm over-exaggerating that point, okay? I know you say that, and I know some of us mean it, but the, the point here is Paul says, I wanted to get together with you, and I'm not blowing smoke because I have been prohibited up to this point. God wouldn't let me. Now, that's my paraphrase of, of what he's saying. That's my understanding of what he's saying. But God wouldn't let me. He, he assured them that his good intention hadn't materialized because God had prevented him. And here we see the second purpose. The second purpose. If you look at verse uh, 13, at the end of it, he says, in order that. See that? In order that? That's the second purpose for his visit. And the second purpose for his visit is that I might obtain some fruit among you. So the first one is I want to build you up and be built up by you. The second one is I want to obtain some fruit. And I understand this fruit to be the reaping of lost souls for Jesus. And that would include the edifying and, and building them up. Spiritual fruit of saved souls. And also of lives that would be transformed because they had been saved. And he wanted this among the Gentiles, particularly the ones there in Rome. Okay, he says even, and he anticipated this. Uh, you know, that's what that would, that's what Jesus said. We should go and bear much fruit. That's John fifteen sixteen. That, that I've sent you that you should go and bear much fruit. That, that's an expectation. And MacArthur put it good. Well, in his commentary, he says the purpose of all true Christian ministry for God is to bear fruit in His name and with His power and for His glory. We serve because we want. To see fruit. Now, we don't always see fruit. And it's not our job to produce the fruit. That's God's job, right? Our job is to bring Christ to people. God's job is to bring people to Christ. Okay? So we just share the gospel. We sow the seeds and let God do the work. We try to build people up. Can't control it. I remember, and I'm going to say her name is Jenny. Jenny had, and this is from past history, so nobody you know. Uh, Jenny... Had, uh, had, had just recently accepted the Lord as her Savior in a smoke-filled room, <laughs> which was glorious, uh, that uh, she and her uh, previously drug-addicted husband had, uh, had, 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 had met and, and, and received Christ as their Savior. And she was like a sponge 
absorbing the Word of God and listening to the truths of the Word of God. And she came to me shortly after she had come to faith in Christ. And she said, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I'm making a trip to ask this family member of mine or to communicate to this family member of mine that I forgive them for abusing me as a child. Yeah, what do you do with that? The fruit of the Spirit working in the life, drawing her to faith in Jesus Christ and then manifesting through her what it means to believe in Christ with faith. Wow, that's good stuff. Doesn't always happen. Doesn't always happen that way. But this is the fruit that Paul says. That's why I'm coming to bear. I want to see fruit. And he communicates then in, in verse 14. He says... Why? I'm under obligation. He says, I'm, I'm under this obligation. Paul's obligation was to fulfill God's call in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. That's what God called him to do. You can go to Acts chapter 9, verse 15. You go to Romans chapter 11, verse 13. You can go to Galatians chapter 1, verse 16. That's what he was called to do, is to preach the gospel particularly to the Gentiles. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16 and 17, because this is where he, he communicates his general overall commitment. For if I, preach, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this volunteer, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a commission nonetheless. You see, ministry for Christ is not a matter of whether everything is going well, if everything is good and cushy and wonderful and fine. It's a matter of following God's calling on our life. He called us to serve. And Paul says... Woe to me if I don't preach. And he preached. Now notice verse 14. It's kind of confusing in some regards, but not so much if, if, you, if we try to focus on it. He says, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians. Now the New American Standard says barbarians. Some translations just say non-Greeks, which is really what he means. There's only two categories. You're in the Gentile world. You're a Greek or you're a non-Greek. So there's no ethnicity. So, so he's saying, I came call, called to preach the gospel regardless of ethnicity. And then secondly, in the next phrase, regardless of education, to the wise and to the foolish. So it doesn't really matter. I, I came to preach the gospel is for all. It's for the wise and the erudite, the educated, the sophisticated. That's where the Greeks were in that, that ancient culture. It, the, the gospel is for those people. It's the true wisdom of God. For the sophisticated person, whether you're a Greek or a Roman or an American or an Asian of Asian descent or African descent, it is for you, regardless of your ethnicity. It is the power of God unto salvation. Next week, okay? It's the power of God. We all need it. The gospel is also for the barbarians. Uh, which is like uh, interesting because bar, 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 bar. It's like they, that, that they thought it was the, they were making fun of the inability to understand the dialect, you know. So they just called bar, 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 barbarians, okay. So they were the uneducated. They were the unsophisticated. They were the, 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 the foolish people. And the gospel is for them as well. Interesting, isn't it, that, that God's gospel is for the brain surgeons like Ben Carson and for the headhunters like Minke, who was out to, to get the, the people, uh, you know, the end of the spear, Nate Saint and all that, 
for the bellhop. You can do whatever you want. He's for the brain surgeon and the bellhop. He's for the brain surgeon and for the headhunter. And you know what? Well, I'm not sure we have any brain surgeons here, but we, most of us kind of can fit in that spectrum, right? I mean, somewhere in that. Uh, well, actually, and Paul says most of us are, are, according to the world, not that, not that great. That's the end of First, first Corinthians chapter 1, you know. Not many wise among you, not many educated, not many, uh, you know, popular, important people. Uh, that, that's gospel, and the gospel is for us. And Paul shared that, that not only his duty to minister is under obligation, but in verse 15, but his desire. That's why I'm eager to bring the gospel to you in Rome as well. He's eager to share, preach the gospel in Rome. The good news. Folks, that's it, the good news. That even though we are destined for an eternity apart from God because of our sin, there is forgiveness in the person and the work of Jesus. What he did on the cross. He died in our place so that we could put our trust in him and be forgiven and have not only the promise of eternal life, but victory over the penalty of sin and the power of sin. I think about this, his eagerness to preach the gospel was born out of what? Why was he eager to preach the gospel? I asked myself this question, and I have a few answers. They may not be all the answers, but these would be the same answers for you and me. He was born, he was uh, eager to preach the gospel because of his conversion. If you look at uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 13 and, uh, and through 15, Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement. Deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Among whom I am chief. He had a, a grasp of his own desperate need for Christ. And if we have come to Christ, and maybe we didn't realize it even at the time, but as you grow in Christ, you know what? at least for me, I realized how much more I needed Jesus than I realized at the time I trusted Jesus. <laughs> and he goes, and when you have the water, you want to share the water. When you have the bread, you want to share the bread. So because of his conversion, he wanted to share the gospel. He knew that he is an ambassador for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Secondly, because of, uh, of our commission. Paul's commission is Acts chapter 9. Our commission is in Matthew chapter 28 to go and, and make disciples. Because of our conviction. Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. Having considered this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We have this conviction that we are serving the king. So that all of life becomes ministry and gospel ministry. And then finally, because of their condition, they're lost. See, I don't know if you've been listening to the news or watching the news or reading about the news of what's been happening in the world these days, but uh, here's the deal. The only answer for lost humanity destined for destruction apart from Christ is Christ. 
I mean, what we're seeing on the world scene, what we're seeing is the, the, the manifestation of pure evil. And the taking of innocent lives and the mutilation and abuse of those lives uh, in, in Israel is, is horrible. The only solution for the hatred, and this is what is born out of hatred. And for the brutal evil and incomprehensible atrocities that have been done against the Jewish people recently is the transforming power of Christ. And, and all need it, we're going to get next week, the Jewish people need it as much as the Palestinians, as much as us. We, we all need it. It's the power of the gospel to redeem lost souls. It's the power of the gospel to realign attitudes that would no longer hate but love those who were formerly their enemies. To reorder affections so that my life, my will, my way becomes his will, his way, his life. And right actions. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is the guy who was chasing down and executing and bringing before and trying those who were heretics in his mind. That's the guy. I mean, he was the quote-unquote terrorist, right? Persecuting those who didn't follow his faith system. And now he says, I'm crucified and raised again to live a new life. That's it. He believed that's it, the way. And he says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, uh, he, he, he goes on to articulate. He says, I thank God, Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. He was saved. He was converted. He had a commissioning. He was compelled by his service and he knew the condition of the lost people. And so here it is. It's, that's what motivates us to share. And so believers, we show we care through our gratitude, thankfulness to God for these people, through our unceasing prayers, through our intentional, purposeful interaction with other believers to edify the saints and to evangelize the lost. That's it. And those who don't know Jesus... All I can say is that he is the answer. Your soul is not satisfied until it finds its rest in him. And so turn from your sin and trust him today. And as you take a few moments to ponder your own condition, I pray that we would come to the bread and the juice and realize this. That apart from Jesus, we're nothing. But in Christ we have everything, and we can live a life of victory. We can live a life of service for him, for his glory. And that's what he called us to do. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would guide and direct our hearts and our minds. Lord, I pray that if anyone doesn't know Christ, either listening or in person, that they would surrender their lives right now and see that the path they're headed on is towards hell and that you don't want them to be there and we don't either. And that if they would turn and trust you and submit to you as Lord and Savior, they would be redeemed. Their lives would be reordered. Their priorities would be realigned. And their perspectives and their treatment of others would be right before you. I ask now, Father, that you guide and direct those of us who know you. 
Help us to ponder the blessing of knowing Jesus. Give you thanks and with soberness in our hearts. Take these elements and then with celebration, thank you for what they mean. In Jesus' name, amen. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed Come take the bread and the juice when you're ready.